Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, my name's Dominic Ponsford. You're listening to The Future of Media Explained. And this week's episode is called Battling the Duopoly. So this week, we're going to be looking at the duopoly. By that, we mean Google and Facebook, the two giants in the media jungle, which every publisher is their, they're the most important partner, but also their biggest competitor. So five years ago, Press Gazette launched a campaign called Stop Google and Facebook Destroying Journalism, which I guess was a, a little bit of a quixotic campaign, but it was a battle which we thought it was worth having, and an argument we thought it was worth having. So we were really concerned about the um, extent to which Google and Facebook were dominating the advertising market to the extent that we felt they were squeezing publishers out and even pushing publishers out of business. So for an update on this issue, a, a kind of really important time for it, I'm talking today to our US editor, William Turville. Hi, Will. Hello, Dom. So Will's joining us from Vancouver, and he's been delving deeply into this issue for, well, a couple, a couple of years now, fair to say. Yeah, ever since I took on this job in 2020, yeah, it's been a key focus for me. And I guess we're talking about it at a really key time in the UK, Canada, Australia, and the US. Regulators are, are taking a good look at Google and Facebook at the moment, trying to work out how they can regulate them a bit better and how they can find a way to share a bit of their enormous revenues with, with publishers so that we can still have effective functioning news industries in because of i guess the huge importance that journalism has for democracy and society but will just to bring us up to date and set a bit of context google and facebook or i should say probably i should say google and meta how big are they now in, in terms of the advertising market most of their revenues are made up of advertising and their total revenues last last year in 2021 Meta made $118 billion, which was up from $86 billion the year before. Alphabet, the owner of Google and YouTube, had revenues of $258 billion, which was up from $183 billion the year before. So they're pretty massive and advertising makes up most of those figures. So you're getting close to between them $400 billion of revenues last year. That's amazing, isn't it? To put that into context, I guess they're 
I think the UK national news brand maybe made a billion in advertising last year. So they're like 400 times bigger than every national news brand in the UK alone. They're, they're probably bigger than the whole global news industry combined. Much bigger, I'd say, probably by now. Mm. So why are publishers so bothered about it? Because playing devil's advocate for a minute, I guess, Press Gazette gets an awful lot of traffic from Google. We get, we get most of our traffic from Google. I guess most people get most of their traffic from Google. Facebook's not so big for us, but I know if you're a consumer news brand, you get an awful lot of reach from Facebook. They're all on Facebook, aren't they, voluntarily, because they see it as a great source of traffic. So why are they so bothered? I guess all of these publishers would say they have to be on Google and they have to be on Facebook because if they're not on these platforms, then they're losing market share to rivals. And they would also say that Google and Facebook make a huge amount of money from them. There was some research from the UK actually earlier this month, 13th of May, it came out from a paper written by the University of Cambridge uh, economics professor, Matthew Elliott, and that was published by the News Media Association, it's worth noting. But he estimated that Google and Facebook for them, news in the UK alone is worth £1 billion a year. So Google and Facebook would argue that publishers, as you say, playing devil's advocate, make a lot of money from them as well. But I think news publishers generally feel that their content is integral to the offerings of both Google and Facebook, and therefore they should pay for them. And they obviously would like to make that point, but they can't because they would say, Google and Meta have a duopoly, which means that you can't fairly agree content licensing deals with them because imagine you as Press Gazette editor-in-chief going to Google and saying, I think you should start paying us for our content. They'd say no. And then you'd say, but in that case, Press Gazette's going to pull all of its content from Google. And they go, okay, Dominic, that's fine. And that's, and obviously Press Gazette's tiny, but even Mail Online wouldn't have enough. They're pretty big, aren't they? But I think even in that case, it would be difficult for them to fairly negotiate with either of the companies. They just, they just be, they just be like, do we look bothered? Yeah, exactly. And they wouldn't be bothered. And I guess it's worth noting that the, I guess the real issue that kind of get, gets my goat on all this is the effect on local publishers, isn't it? Because their business um, historically was um, small and medium-sized companies and so those companies because of the self-serve advertising model on google and facebook and the fact that they can give you a very targeted local audience the fact that they're across the whole internet it means it's almost impossible for local newspapers to really compete with that without offering so that's why they're really being squeezed out of business i guess the other thing that's worth noting is that duopoly well they are the only google's the only show in town isn't it on search 90 percent of the market social media facebook facebook is the internet for, for lots of people now it's completely completely dominant they can't be shifted so will we could talk about this all day but we can't let just just give me a quick update where are we with regulation in in australia and canada in the UK. It's also coming to a head at the moment, isn't it? Google and Facebook are facing lots of different regulations in lots of different jurisdictions. The the regulation that we're focused on is the Australia type regulation, which effectively forces Google and Meta to agree licensing, content licensing payments with publishers. Uh, it's worked incredibly well. 
publishers think in Australia, where according to the ACCC, which is the competition regulator there, they estimate that Google and Facebook have agreed deals with publishers worth in excess of $200 million per year as a result of their legislation. So now lots of other jurisdictions around the world are looking at this and thinking, yeah, this does look like quite effective legislation that would help out our news industry. And obviously the news publishers themselves across these different countries are looking at it as well and thinking that looks really good. We we want all that money. We need it because we've had a really tough couple of years. Our advertising revenues are still shrinking. Google and Facebook are still growing. We need some help. And so Canada appears to be on the verge of introducing an online news act, which would have the slightly different to Australia's, but it would have the same effect. The UK is also promised to introduce similar legislation. We haven't got quite as many details and we're not really expecting anything on that until 2024. News publishers in the US are also increasingly bullish, I'd say, behind the scenes about the chances of their similar legislation, which is the JCPA. So there's a lot of momentum behind this, I'd say. And it's worth millions, isn't it? It's worth billions. Let's say it's worth billions, isn't it, to publishers around the world, how this shakes out. And and I guess the key thing is how it all divvies up and and what Google and Facebook do in response. Because ultimately, they could just put two fingers up to the news industry and say, well, we can rub along very well without you all, thanks very much. Yeah, well, that seems to be, as Press Gazette reported last week, that seems to be what Meta might be preparing to do. It seems to want to get the message across that, uh, well, this is at least according to my sources in the news industry and admittedly not Meta itself, which didn't comment on my story, which is maybe a, a signal of something. Meta seems to want to get the message across that it doesn't need news and it doesn't want to pay for it. So that would be a really interesting battle to watch that play out and whether it actually follows through with it. But what publishers would say in response to that and my interviewee this week, Jason Kint, said, makes this point, is that Facebook without professional news is going to struggle to be a relevant and reliable platform. And I think of all the fake news scandals that have come out on Facebook over the past couple of years. I mean, having professional news on there, it's like firefighting against that. So there's a lot of skepticism as to whether Facebook actually can operate as a an information platform without professional news. And Google, likewise, it's very difficult to imagine Google, I think, without professional news on it. If you think about, would people even Google Ukraine if there wasn't news on it? So US, obviously, the geopolitical biggest market. It's incredibly important what happens there for them and, and probably for everyone around, around the world in the publishing ecosystem. Jason Kint is very much on the front line of this battle, isn't he? He tells a bit more about it, about who he is and, and um, why he's worth speaking to. Yes, he's the chief executive of Digital Content Next, which is a, a trade body for digital publishers in the US. But he's also a, a key part of his role has been keeping track of all of the different lawsuits and regulations against Google and Meta. So if you have a look at his Twitter feed, he tweets dozens of times a day and often updating his followers on different lawsuits that Google and Meta are facing in usually US jurisdictions. And so I really wanted to speak to him about those and just to try and get an idea of which which are the most significant, when they're going to have any kind of an impact and what impact they will ultimately have on the journalism industry. Because it's not just, while there is legislation 
Australia type legislation in the US potentially coming. There are also lawsuits that are coming and bills coming through through Washington that could have a serious impact on Google and Facebook strict meta, including one last week from Senator Lee that has proposed the breakup of Google, which would be massive, would have a massive impact for, for the global publishing industry. So the US is obviously the it's the most significant news market in the world, the biggest and things that are happening there are going to impact publishers across the world. So I was really keen to speak to him about this Australia-type legislation when that might be coming in the US. I'd be inter- I was interested to hit, speak to him about where what he thinks of the Australia legislation and whether that should be copied in the US or, or how that could be amended. But I started by asking him for an update on the duopoly. How dominant are Google and Facebook when we launched, relaunched as DCN about seven years ago, you started to peel back the onions. The growth in the industry was extraordinary. It was the 25% growth per year in the advertising market. And what we recognized was that within our membership, which again is just the premium publishers, the most trusted news and entertainment brands out there, certainly in the United States, the market wasn't moving in their favor in the same way that it was overall. And so we started to peel back, well, where's all this growth actually going. And, you know, it started with just this recognition of intermediaries and and other companies were, were taking the lion's share of the revenue growth. But then once you really looked into, you know, certainly the public filings from Google and Facebook, you saw that 80, 90% of the incremental growth was going just to two companies. And, you know, the industry in the US ad industry was growing by $20 billion in a year. If 18 billion of that 20 billion was going to two companies, there was certainly a problem that couldn't last. And so, <clears throat> particularly you know, as gatekeepers to the discovery and monetization of content, and so that yeah. really became a focus. And when exactly did you start to recognize the duopoly, quote unquote, as a major issue for publishers? I'd say probably 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the 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 part of that that really didn't come to the surface, I think for the broader industry until the last few years was the data, the value of data underneath the duopoly's power. And that was a that was a part of the analysis back in 2015 was two companies were taking most of the growth and it was because of their unmatchable ability to collect data. And I think that's now really serviced the last few years. And in terms of the duopoly issue itself, as in Google and Facebook's dominance of the digital advertising market, how has that changed since 2015, 2016 in globally in the US? Yeah, that, so that's a good question. The The dominance of the two companies has continued. They're still taking a better part of 80, 85% of the growth that happens each year. I think the one thing that has changed is Amazon has entered the picture a little bit more in the advertising space. Mm. And, and But the underlying trend is still there. And so the, I think maybe the other recognition is that that they probably do need to find ways to have more revenue be shared with the content creators, whether it be individuals or publishing companies, because that's frankly a big part of what gets discovered and searched for on their platforms. And maybe a little more self-awareness that there's a problem. Yeah. And just to pick you up on one thing you said there, Amazon and its growth. How should publishers be thinking about Amazon in the next few years? Uh, you know, Amazon is the is a scary, maybe even scarier long-term threat mm. because of you know the commerce capabilities too, just to bypass a lot of the companies that would historically be advertisers and sell their own products. But in the short term, it's still a pretty small advertising business relative to, to yeah. Google and Facebook 
especially if you peel back what they run on their own property. So Google and Facebook or Meta, it's so annoying that they changed their name. They're we could call it Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's call it Facebook for the rest of this then. Okay, so they're facing multiple lawsuits and new regulations around the world. And I know you're focused on a lot of them and you spend a lot of your time reading through different court papers and different new regulations. So to as a cheat guide for our listeners... I'd be really interested to hear what you think are the most significant of those lawsuits or regulations for publishers. Straight up for publishers that make a long-term impact to the publishing business, I'd say the the common thread in them is typically some relationship to the advertising business and their dominance and the, the data they collect, particularly personal data across the web. Mm. And so when I look at the lawsuits that are out there, the state attorneys general led by Texas ad tech yeah. case against Google for certain. That's also leading to legislation now that's being introduced. The gatekeeper law, I call it the Digital Markets Act in Europe, I think is a big deal. Enforcement of GDPR would be a big deal for publishers. There's a lesser known, lesser discussed decision out of Germany's cartel office focused on Facebook where they can't collect and use data across their apps anymore or across the web that is still working its way through appeals. But those are the, those all have a common thread of the of where data and advertising are integrated. Yeah, I hear a lot of people behind the scenes talking about the the state of Texas uh, publishers getting excited about the the, st- the state of Texas lawsuit. Could you give us a thirty second or one minute mm-hmm. guide to to what's alleged there and what stage we're at and what this could mean in the long term? Sure. In 30 seconds, is it's focused on the ad tech side of Google's business and the dominance on the buy, sell, and transactional piece. The things that get people excited and get the headlines are things like Jedi Blue, which was a project code name for a, a deal that wasn't known between Google and Facebook that at least the allegations are that they had a, a separate deal to carve out areas that were important to their business and, and keep Facebook out of competing in something called header bidding, which uh, your audience probably familiar with. But you know, there's a lot in that lawsuit. I think, you know, it's very much focused on ad tech. Yeah. And what stage are we at with that? It's still early. The it's likely next year that it will it'll actually start to move forward in the court. And then by that I mean twenty twenty four even. So the thing that also would be material to that case that I think everybody's waiting on is the Justice Department at a federal level to file its own complaint that marries it. That would be interesting and put a lot more resources um, and put the fear of, I think, the fear of God into Google and Facebook. The other piece that's important to that lawsuit, because you asked relative to publishers, the the deal between Google and Facebook is a section one allegation, which also can become criminal because you've got executives that are signing a deal allegedly to to rig the market. And that also is is a really big deal and, and I think would put a lot of worry at the top of the organizations if it's not there already. You mentioned to me separately Senator Lee's antitrust bill this week, which is news. What would this do? That actually, I think, stems from mostly the, the Texas case. Yeah. It recognizes that programmatic and ad tech very much resemble a financial marketplace. And in a financial marketplace, if you had a company that was dominant on the buy side, the sell side, and actually running a majority of the auctions or a lot of the auctions, um, that would be a, a problem. On top of that, they're the, they actually have the largest pool of inventory too. So they're really a market maker and acting as you know a broker in the stock exchange, et cetera. And so 
and Google too, <laughs> Google in their own documents makes that comparison internally. So this uh, new bill that's bipartisan, it's got a companion introduced in the House too, recognizes that anybody that's significantly large, over $20 billion of, of advertising value going through their pipes, that they can't be on both sides of the market. They can't be on the buy side and the sell side. And if they're above five billion, then they have some best interest and best execution obligations to the publisher or the advertiser, respectively, depending on what side of the market they're on. So it just deals with market power in the middle, if you will. Moving on slightly, uh, a lot of Press Gazette's focus over the past couple of years has been on Australia's news media bargaining code and other legislation around the world that looks set to to follow in its footsteps. And I know you'll have, you know a lot about this as well. I just wondered if you could set out in general terms what you think of the Australian code, whether you think it's perfect, and as other jurisdictions around the world look at introducing similar codes, what could be improved? Yeah, well, no legislation is perfect, but it was certainly, a, I think, a significant step forward. And I commended the, the ACCCs who did the investigation that took a better part of two years into them the market power of Google and Facebook that, that really led to that code and often gets overlooked. So recognizing that two companies had market power and it wasn't fair bargaining on the other side and that news was special and important to civil society and democracy, it was a smart solution to try to balance that bargaining power, at least for a period of time until the market's more healthy. And what was really I think important in that code was this idea of allowing the market to still uh, drive the negotiations between the publisher and the, the platform, Google mm -hmm. or Facebook. And so rather than a regulator coming in and divvying up the money and saying, you're worth more, you're worth less, or here's how we're going to split the money based on page views or pick your metric, they put this stick on the back end of the carrot, on the other side of the carrot that said, if you don't come to a negotiated deal, we're going to use this baseball arbitration, we call it here in the U.S. Um, yeah. style, that, that essentially allows you both to put in a price of what you think the deal should be worth, and then we'll decide. And so it compels the two parties to negotiate as fairly as possible. And and I think it's a big enough threat that there's deals happening before even getting to it, which is was good. There's a lot we liked about it. The, to your question about, yeah, it's not perfect. No legislation is perfect. I think Canada's trying to build on it with a couple new innovations of their own. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover, Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election, and Sophie McBain, on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Marwe screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. interesting to see when if and when this legislation comes to the uk what they call baseball style arbitration because <laughs> people in the uk don't know what they don't know much about Cricket. baseball <laughs> i don't think there is a i don't think yeah it'll be interesting to see anyway so basically but, the, you know actually you know, the one thing i would emphasize is making sure the re- the revenue gets ultimately where it needs to go and the smaller publishers are starting to see some of that money i like to see it faster and then also ultimately journalism, right? Is making sure the money actually gets to the journalists and the production of the content rather than just shareholders. Those are those are innovations and transparency obligations that I think will be helpful. Yeah. The value of news to sharing on Facebook to currency and knowing what's going on in the world and the value to news, the value of news to Google when a user comes in and is discovering what's going on, I think is self-evident. And the thing that's also maybe not as evident is the underlying value of that news in terms of teaching their algorithms of the data that comes with it. Almost every new discussion that happens in a day or gets searched for on Google is related to some sort of news and that's being captured by journalists sometimes at great risk personal risk and that is worth tremendous amounts of money to what they do um, without it their their user generated you know content platform without the credibility and trust of news brands and we obviously spoke briefly this week there are stories coming out of the US and and we've reported on it that Facebook wants seems to be getting seems to want to get the message out there that it's not 
reliant on news and that it doesn't really want to pay much for news and that its platform, Facebook especially, is about user-generated content. I, I feel like there's an interesting story coming here and your position on this and the position of others is that it's bluffing, it needs news, Facebook can't be can't maintain its relevance as a platform without professional news. Could you just explain that argument slightly? Yeah, I, I think it has a significant impact on their business long-term. If they actually did what they did in Australia and, and blocked news or just made it, eliminate it from the fabric of discussion on their news feed, noting it's called the news feed. And so Australia was really interesting opportunity for Facebook. It's probably why they spent so much strategy and uh, time trying to figure out what they were going to do there. Because if they could convince the world that they didn't need news as much as people thought they needed, and that Australia was putting out bad legislation, they could isolate Australia as this island on the other side of the world that um, is doing something crazy that doesn't make any sense, and, and they don't need news. But that didn't happen. And I think that was exposed by reporters, and now is being exposed by the market where they're actually paying for, for news. And I don't think they can take that approach globally. And the thing that's happened from a parliament perspective globally is the UK, the US Congress, Canada, Australia, they're all learning from each other, the EU, and they're building off of each other in a very smart way. And I think that's, I think that's really important. And it's, it's fairly multi-party too. It's not really partisan in the way that everybody's treating Google and Facebook. This is a big generalization, but I was trying to sum up what what a critic of the Australian code might broadly say about it. And I think maybe the way to put it is, and this is people like Jeff Jarvis, who I know you've had a few run-ins with over the years. I think they broadly phrase it as a conspiracy between Rupert Murdoch and other big bad media owners and Australian publishers, politicians against Google and Facebook. Yeah. Can you just explain why, for our listeners, why you think that's not the case and what this is more broadly? I've experienced this in the US too. They, the platforms love to have a bogey, you know, somebody out they can point out there and say that's driving the, the criticism or the new laws that are focused on us and whether it's Oracle in the tech sector or News Corp. One, one importantly, across our membership of of literally thousands of publisher brands and 60 some companies they're they are one company news corp and so if i did something that or if there was new legislation that just helped one company that'd be bad for the rest of the publishing sector too i, you know, I don't want to go into specific companies but there are members of dcn that are at least ideologically positioned on the other end of news and they also were super supportive of what was uh, being put forward in Australia and the legislation. There may have been some filings of early on and push for some sort of intervention, but it's it's something that I think the whole news industry recognizes the value of, and it will support the whole news industry. I think the only thing that I have to keep an eye on too is from an innovation perspective, we also need the small publishers to be getting their fair share. And so the collective bargaining aspect of these bills too becomes important so that if you're a small, little, local, independent news organization, you also can get your fair share. Yeah. So overall, these lawsuits, the different lawsuits, the different regulations we're talking about are coming all over the world. What What's going to be the, the long-term impact of them for publishers? Do you think there's a huge amount of money swirling around in all of this? What's the result of it? Do you think, do you think ultimately we're heading for a more 
sustainable digital journalism world if everything goes the way that you think it will? It, these types of bills that kind of balance bargaining power, and there's one that hasn't supposed to get reintroduced in Congress and, and what's going on in Canada, I think are a component of the future where there's certain types of gatekeepers with market power that there's more balance, but I don't think they're a single solution. And I would like to continue to keep all irons need to be in the fire. The, the lawsuits for bad behavior in the past, including the FTCs, we didn't talk about over Facebook to split them up like those, all these lawsuits are super important uh, because they make the companies act in good behavior when they've got market power. So I wouldn't want to take the foot off the gas on, on those lawsuits and legislative fixes too. And then privacy law too becomes super important, both enforcing that in Europe and then in the US, it's probably going to be enforcing it in California to start. But the data, the underlying data economy is critically important to clean that up too. While all this is going on, Google and Facebook remain probably the two most important uh, commercial partners for publishers. How should they be, how should your members, other publishers around the world be dealing with them currently with all of this going on? How should they be thinking about content deals? Because obviously they're not all just licensing deals. Lots of publishers take paid money by Google and Facebook for different things. How should they be thinking about all of this going on in the background while they're doing this? That's the tricky part is they're two of the most important business partners out there. And so I think with Facebook, publishers have been able to be a little bit more transactional over the last couple of years and look at them as marketing partners and not get emotionally caught up in the creation of value by the platform idea that they might have been pitched in the past. But Google probably writes the biggest check on a monthly basis to publishers from the advertising side of the business and, and every other way that they work together, the cloud and, and even internal communication. So like they're a massively important partner and no publisher nor do their shareholders or executives want to be in a bad position with those companies. I think that's part of the market power. And they need to recognize that the audiences, you need to be where the audiences want you to be. And so the YouTube generation and the users on Instagram, which is still a very fast growing platform, you need to be in the format where the audience wants to reach you and just protect your brand at the same time. So I, I think if I could emphasize to a premium publisher the things they should be thinking about when dealing with these platforms, they should make sure their brand and so the way that they present their news and their content is true to their value. And because that's their greatest asset is the, the brand as a proxy for trust. And then second, I would make sure that the deals are, are, are long enough term that there's a real commitment on both sides of the aisle and they're not going to get stuck with Facebook pulling the plug six months into a project. So long-term commitment matters. Final question. You have obviously spent a huge amount of, of time, effort, resource reading through all of these different lawsuits against Google and Facebook, and not all of them are about secret ad tech deals. I know that yeah. you've been shocked by some of the things you've, you've read over the years. I just wondered how that has changed your personal relationship with the platforms of Google and Facebook. Do you use them? I do not use Facebook's platforms anymore. When did you make that switch? Only in the last six months. Hmm. I held on as long as I could because I needed to, I need to be able to you know know where the experiences um, are going. But I just yeah. I became a point of zero trust with the company that I you know made that switch. Oh, obviously, all these lawsuits coming down the track, they're going to be reported closely. Do you think that once some of the allegations that that you've read and some of the the facts that you've read come to light, 
to the general public? Do you think that's going to change people's relationships with Facebook and, and Google to an extent? I think with Facebook, it's happening regardless. When If you ask somebody or they tell you that they're on Facebook, they normally, at least here, they typically have an excuse for why they were on. They, you don't ever say that about I was reading the New York Times or I was reading the Wall Street Journal because I had to. <laughs> but people now do that, right? I was on Facebook because that's where I get my photos from my aunts or because my school makes posts there. And they have to feel like they just to justify it. And and that's really an interesting change that's happened yeah. in the last few years. And so I think it's going to happen regardless. But the underlying details and some of the discovery of these lawsuits are, are even shocking to me still at this point. Mm. And so as that continues to come out, I think that'll be a particular issue for Facebook that really hasn't changed its leadership in any material way. That's the, the thing is we're all betting that the company's going to act differently despite having the same autocratic control um, mm. from just a, one person. And Google is Google's strength and power long-term and endurance will be in the products themselves. YouTube, these are really great products. And I think that there's still a lot of trust in them as services. And I think Google probably is even more mindful of that. And it's going to have to be very careful going forward. Thanks, Will. That was a fascinating interview with Jason Kint. I always I follow him on Twitter. I'm a big fan, although I know I must admit I struggle to keep up. He, he tweets so much stuff, so it's quite good to hear him explain it all and have it boiled down a, a little bit too. What, what do you think is the the key takeaway from your chat with him? So the key takeaway is there's there's a huge amount coming for both Google and Meta. It's difficult at this stage to work out what's going to stick and what's not, but I'd say. The key takeaway from, I suppose, from their perspective, they're facing a huge amount of pressure in different jurisdictions. They must have a huge public affairs team by now working on this and, and working out what's the most significant and what's what they can make disappear. And from a publisher's perspective, I suppose they'll be looking at all of these different lawsuits, struggling to keep up and probably as well like you. I'm sure many of them follow Jason Kint on Twitter and are trying to get an idea of what it means for them exactly. You can't predict the future, Will. No one can. But I think it's going to go either two ways, isn't it? I think either uh, Google and Meta are going to stuff publishers' mouths with cash like they've done in Australia, give them better deals to make them go away, to make the threat of legislation go away. Or maybe they're going to play hardball and Facebook will do what it's threatened to do and just turn news off completely. Well, what it's rumoured to be, to be bothering is to turn news off completely on its platform. What do you think is going to happen next? Yeah, like you say, I can't predict the future, but it'll be really interesting to see. And I think all eyes are going to be on Canada over the next couple of months as it introduces its Online News Act. Obviously, in the run-up to Australia's legislation in 2021, Facebook, as you alluded to, switched off news and all hell broke loose. And eventually they gave in and signed deals with publishers and Google made similar threats. They don't, don't think they really went ahead with anything, but they threatened to maybe withdraw their search engine from Australia. They didn't. They signed publisher deals. And bigger picture, these are massive companies. You know, we spoke about the revenue figures at the beginning. Alphabet last year, $258 billion of revenues. So however much they're paying in Australia themselves, it's, you know, not more than $200 million. That's not huge for them. Maybe they'll be thinking as Canada introduces similar legislation, 
maybe that's not too much more. But if lots of different jurisdictions are introducing this legislation, then that is going to be a lot of money for them. Yeah, it's interesting. One one for them to weigh up, really. Do we go along with this, pay publishers for news, enter into licensing agreements, or do we play hardball? And if we play hardball, what does that look like? Yeah, that's one for them to work out, I think. A few hundred million for them. It's just money down the back of the sofa, isn't it? But, um, yeah, I guess yeah, it's the principle they're afraid of. They're afraid of the principle of paying for news content. They think we should be grateful, don't they, deep down? Yeah, it'll be interesting how it pans out. Look, I'm sure it's an issue we're going to return to on the Future of Media Explained podcast. And it's something we explore in huge depth on pressgazette.co.uk every day on our website. Please subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, to keep up to date on this and and, and the other big themes affecting the news industry. Thanks, William. And thanks also to our producer, Adrian Bradley, for listening to The Future of Media Explained. Thanks very much. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.